Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. And in this re-release episode about nuclear waste, I talk with Ian Zavarte, who's the principal man of the Western Band of the Shoshone Nation of Indians and works with the Native Community Action Council. He lives in Las Vegas, Nevada and has worked on nuclear issues for 30 plus years. We specifically talk about Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository, which is a proposed deep geological repository facility within Yucca Mountain to store spent nuclear fuel, or in other terms, nuclear waste, and other high-level radioactive waste. The project was approved in 2002 by the 107th United States Congress, but federal funding for the site ended in 2011. With no federal funding, it's up to the NRC and DOE, but there has not been a final decision on the repository license application. The project has encountered many difficulties and was highly contested by the Western Shoshone peoples and non-local public. As of 2019, the status of the proposed repository at Yucca Mountain remains uncertain. And just to break down some jargon, repository is a place, building, or receptacle where things are or may be stored. It's an industry term created to make a waste dump sound like something benign. And spent fuel is more jargon. Nuclear fuel rods that are removed from reactors are in no way spent. They are eradicated fuel rods thousands of times more radioactive from when they first are inserted. The reason they are removed is that the fission process creates many unstable radioactive isotopes, which contaminate the fuel rods and make it impossible to control inside the reactor. They do not put fresh uranium fuel rods in fuel pools, but after three years of use, they have to because of their much more intense radioactivity. With Ian, we discuss significant impacts Yucca Mountain has for the Shoshone people, the significance of land and water for indigenous people, what a nuclear waste repository is, the relationship between tribal governments and the federal government, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, and then what you can do to take action. To contact and connect with Ian will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, I'm here with Ian Zabarte, who is the principal man of the Western Band of the Shoshone Nation of Indians, and works with the Native Community Action Council. So my first question is just, what kind of work are you doing specifically with Yucca Mountain and indigenous peoples' rights? Uh, I've been working on nuclear issues since I was about 18 years old. That was 1984. And my experience was that my family was dying from radiation exposure. And we didn't have a good understanding of how that exposure risk or vulnerabilities that we might have the exposure pathways. We began to investigate those exposure pathways in 1992. And in 1994, we created the Nuclear Risk Management for Native Communities. We began investigating our health illnesses that are known to be plausible from exposure to radiation. And we worked collaboratively with partners in higher education institutions, Clark University. We received some funding from the Centers for Disease Control and the National Institute of Health to investigate the plausible health consequences that we were experiencing in communities. And what we did is we took the researchers hunting, we took the researchers gathering, showed them the traditional foods that we would eat, which is pine nut, which is deer, antelope, and rabbit, which is one of the staple foods of our people for thousands of years. We showed them how we prepared the food. We told them how much we ate of the food. 
And based on that information, they were able to look at the Department of Energy's offsite radiation exposure review profile and calculate based on new modeling that we created, which is the rabbit model. And based on the rabbit model, we found that lifestyle differences in food, diet, shelter, and mobility increased our exposure significantly. So that's diet, what we ate, how much we ate of it, mobility, where we went, what we did there, hunting, fishing, gathering, praying, and shelter, where our houses were and what they were made out of. We found significant increase in risk of exposure for adults up to 15 times greater, for youth up to puberty 30 times greater, and for in utero exposure uh, in the mother's womb up to 60 times greater than the non-native population. The Department of Energy used a, a model that used a sheep herder, and those people would buy their food in the store, canned food, they would live out on the range for several weeks at a time tending large bands of sheep. And that was the model that the Department of Energy used. And based on that model, their understanding is not protective of Native Americans. And so what we did with that information was use that as the basis for our contention in the Atomic Safety Licensing Board. So when the EPA in, I think it was 2001, set the Yucca Mountain Radiation Protection Standard, we commented that they need to look at lifestyle differences. They did not. We continued to press that case. We uh, made comments to the Department of Energy when they adopted the EPA radiation exposure profile. Their assessment of radiation protection standards was that the reasonably maximally exposed individual would be living 11 miles from the proposed Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository in Shoshone country. That person would be living a lifestyle on a farm, getting their water out of a well, having pigs and chickens and cows and getting milk from those things. But they didn't account for the lifestyle that Shoshone have been living in this region for 10,000 years before the common era. They didn't account for the fact that the foods that we've been eating for that period of time will still be available over the next 10,000 years and that we're not going to stop eating rabbit. We're not going to stop eating deer or antelope or picking pine nuts or getting our wood from dead wood for heating our houses. Those things just aren't going to stop. And they didn't account for those lifestyle differences. And we use those as the basis for our contentions in the Atomic Safety Licensing Board on the proposed Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository. So in 2008, when the Department of Energy filed its application with the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, for a construction authorization license from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, we again made those same comments, and that is one of our three contentions. We have three contentions, uh, ownership of Yucca Mountain, ownership of the water, and our primary use of that water is our identity, and three, our NEPA contention, which is that the Department of Energy radiation protection standards are not protective of Native Americans based on lifestyle differences and that this uh, needs to be considered, and it hasn't been so far. But those are our contentions. Now, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission is to adopt the original EPA standard that was adopted by the Department of Energy that is now supposed to be adopted by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in the licensing and issue an application. We haven't gotten that far. The NRC hasn't adopted anything, and that's part of what the adjudication in the Atomic Safety Licensing Board is for. So nothing's happening at Yucca Mountain, and we like it that way. We intend to keep it that way because we did not volunteer and we do not 
consent to die for America's commercial high-level nuclear waste. Exactly. And I was looking at your website and it said 70,000 tons of spent nuclear fuel and high-level waste would be dumped on Yucca Mountain and unseated Western Shoshone lands. And taking it back a bit, could you kind of talk about the indigenous people and their connection with the land and the importance of it, like the significance? Primary use of the land is our identity. Pure, pristine water is what's important to Shoshone people. The people need that in order to be cured. We've been exposed. We understand that. But we have the cure for cancer in our country. We have to understand that we've been exposed first, and then we can take protective measures. We're still lacking the registries. We're still lacking the surveillance, the monitoring, the DNA testing. Kind of the things we're missing right now as well with with the coronavirus that's going on. Things that you think should be there and ought to be there. We have to fight for these things. You know, right now, the American people have to fight for the same things from the government. And it's really unconscionable that we don't have those things. We need additional Radiation Exposure Compensation Act funding. Our people are still being funded and compensated through those things. So we need those things. But it's even more important now that we have our land to sustain us, to give us good health, to protect our health, and to prevent and heal us. This is what our land does. We have these plants, medicines, we have pure, pristine water. This is primal water from the creation of the planet that's locked underground. And these are hundreds of millions of year flow of water. They flowed underneath the ocean. They were vents. And so the pupfish at Devil's Hole, for example, near our community at Death Valley, the Devil's Hole pupfish, is one of the most isolated species in the world. The water was flowing underwater, under the ocean. And these were saltwater fish. And as the waters receded, they became freshwater fish. And we have an understanding of these things. But the water has been flowing for millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years. As we understand it, and I'm not the medicine man, I'm not the medicine person, but as we understand it, from those people, the medicine is in the water. And I don't know how it works or how it functions. And that's the difficulty because we've lost much knowledge, but it's in the land. It's in our relationship to the land. And we know these things. We have that as our faith. Now, in some of these flows, the water's been coming out of the ground and flowing down and feeding other life. And it's that other life that we're looking at that we're looking at that collects the medicine that I'm talking about. And we need to protect those things. Unfortunately, as you know, we're not. And people just want to make money. So we need to protect those waters. And we don't need to pollute them. What we're looking at with Yucca Mountain is the desert is an ocean with its life underground. Yucca Mountain is in the biosphere. When the water upwells into the repository horizon, uh, it will corrode the cast. That nuclear waste will potentially leave Yucca Mountain and go into our underground river. It's an underground river, 185 miles long, that goes right by Yucca Mountain, goes down to our healing center, and then makes a right turn into Death Valley, where our community is. We need to prevent that from happening. The travel time of radiation in the groundwater is anywhere from 2,200 foot per year to 200 foot per year. And by the 2,200 foot per year, you've already calculated that the radiation is off site from the weapons testing. It would be about the same with Yucca Mountain, Department of Energy. 
as proposed in order to meet the regulatory guidelines for the repository, which is 10 millirem up to 10,000 years and 100 millirem after that. And in order to meet those radiation protection standards for the repository, the Department of Energy has proposed in 100 years putting titanium drip shields over the implanted nuclear waste. So they would be doing it robotically, and it would be five times the amount of titanium that is currently available or used in the U.S. Air Force. Five times that amount that is currently used in all those aircraft and planes and other weaponry. We don't have that. It's going to cost, I think, estimated $15 billion. And in 100 years, they want the youth to pay for that. We need to not do something silly. That's silly. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And we're just not buying it. We don't accept it. We're not accepting any increased burden of risk from any source, including nuclear waste. Yeah, exactly. And then could you explain what a high-level nuclear waste repository is? Okay, so the original intent of deep geologic disposal of high-level nuclear waste was to put it far underground, a mile underground, or sub-seabed disposal. Yucca Mountain was a project which researchers and scientists and engineers occupying Shoshone, unceded territory, had determined was needed for their continuing uh, field nuclear development. And they never questioned the fact of ownership of Yucca Mountain. They never questioned whether that was the right thing to do with the nuclear waste. They just saw this very complex, expensive project that they wanted to and knew that they could do. The jury's still out on whether deep geologic disposal is the right thing to do. Yucca Mountain is not what they intended. Yucca Mountain is above the water table. It's 700 feet from the top of Yucca Mountain, and it's actually in the biosphere. There are, it's not a mountain, it's a bluff, and it has 26 fault lines. There are three volcanoes, the third most seismic region in North America continent, including Alaska. I think that is now we've moved to the fourth most seismic region after Oklahoma because of all the fracking that has created earthquakes in Oklahoma. So, uh, but still, it's in the biosphere. The entire mountain of Yucca Mountain is welded tough. It's a volcanic pyroclastic flow. It has small holes inside the rock, some big holes too. And in the pores of the rock, in those holes, the mountain is saturated with 10% water in the pores of the rock. So it looks dry, but that water is exactly the problem with this repository. It's in the biosphere. So Yucca Mountain is where I learned about global climate change. The Department of Energy geohydrologists were looking at groundwater upwelling and the calcite, which are deposits between the cracks in the rocks. So the Department of Energy uh, researcher Jerry Samansky believed that the water table upwelled into the repository horizon, leaving the calcite in the rocks. So that is over, on average, seven to 15,000 years global cooling and warming in relation to the Earth's oscillation to and from the sun. And we have over 600,000 years of core samples that correlate very well with that change in weather now. 
And this was one of the early studies that presented the argument for climate change, which is that water upwelling into the repository horizon. The Department of Energy didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear that the water was percolating down from rain into the repository horizon. So the, the risk assessment doesn't include that the water will come un, into the repository, will corrode the cask, the hot, even before that happens, the hot waste into a repository in place there will push the water away for 100, 200 years until the fuel actually cools. And then that water will come back into the repository, corrode the cask, corrode the canisters, and potentially release that into the groundwater because it's above the, the water table. So what we see at Yucca Mountain are the engineered barriers or the processes in the biosphere, which is not the original intent of deep geologic disposal. The problem with deep geologic disposal is that it is an ongoing research and development project. We won't know if it works for 250,000 years. We're not going to be around to know that. So uh, this is the problem with our technology, that we can't understand the full impact long term. Yeah, and you've been fighting this fight for a while and taking a lot of actions. What's the relationship between tribal governments and then the federal governments and then all of these these different agencies? Well, that's a complex yeah. question. As I mentioned, our primary contention is ownership of the proposed site. So we've had a long, rocky relationship with the United States because of lifestyle differences, because of cultural culture shock, and we've survived. We're not going anywhere. We still own everything in our treaty territory. So the relationship with the United States and the Western bands of the Shoshone Nation of Indians is the Treaty of Ruby Valley in 1863. We don't look for our relationship to the United States from the Bible. We don't look for it from the Supreme Court with its religious bias and interpretation. We don't look at United States laws and interpretation for the endorsement of religion in legislation or the sword and shield that protects the United States government based on the Bible, which is the Attorney General's office. That's other Americans. Our relationship begins with the Treaty of Ruby Valley, and we have rights. Our primary use of the land is our identity. The primary use of our water is our identity. That is important, and that's what we use the land for. That's what we need the water for. The people need to be healed, and our medicine is in the land. So to move that forward, we did not consent in the treaty to allowing ourselves to be sacrificed and our country to be destroyed for the benefit of the U.S. nuclear industry and the profit of the U.S. nuclear industry. That's not what the treaty is for. It's to sustain both signatory parties to the agreement. So we are here in a relationship that we committed to, and America did as well. That is the law. So when we talk about the law at Yucca Mountain, it is the Treaty of Ruby Valley. It's not U.S. property. The Department of Energy cannot prove ownership. It doesn't belong to them. What we're facing is fraud. So Nevada gets money in taxes from Shoshone property that is paid by the Department of Energy. And Nevada gives that to everyone except Indians. That's environmental racism. That's fraud. That's corruption. That's what America is doing in this nuclear waste situation. And we are expected to die if we would take that nuclear waste, the most toxic substance ever created by human beings. 
We are expected to take it and die. This is after the weapons testing has already killed our people. We're not accepting that. It's unacceptable. We're dealing with those things. We need health monitoring. We need surveillance. We need DNA testing. We need to protect our land and protect our people, not be disposed of without humanity, without dignity. That's wrong. Yeah. And so you kind of mentioned a couple of things, but what all have you guys as a tribe done to fight against this? We became aware uh, risk perception, aware of our of our community's suffering and the hazards. We didn't know in the beginning. Nobody told us. The United States has abandoned us on the battlefield of the Cold War, and we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. Unfortunately, the United States continues to undermine Native Americans, Indigenous peoples by relying on, again, the Bible. So in court cases, we would bring court cases against the United States, and the United States, under this federal plenary power of Congress, which is based on the Christian heathen distinction in the Marshall Trilogy, which is the United States Supreme Court, as I mentioned earlier, the United States Supreme Court created this federal plenary power over Indians, where the first Christian nation discovering a land of heathens and infidels had absolute title and ultimate dominion. And that violates the United States Constitution. That's not our law. Our relation comes from the creator directly to us with instructions how to live in balance and harmony with the land. It doesn't come through Jerusalem and the Edict of Milan and Pope Constantine that was then adopted by the United States from Great Britain and applied to India. It doesn't go that way. It's right from the treaty and our relationship with the creator that we are endowed with basic human rights, which includes our right to dignity and property and our identity. That's kind of where it comes from, but the United States has created reservations which are protectorates. And these reservations take on all of the marks of the United States, including now, once a reservation allows a church on it, it becomes a Christian reservation. That's not our lifeway. We have thousands-year-old living lifeways that continue. That's our identity. And that's really where our, our relationship with the United States is via treaty. Yeah. And then you mentioned it, but could you talk about the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, RECA? Is that for all of the radiation exposure, like over time for Indigenous people? I was involved in the creating the 1990 Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. But I came in at a time which was already late. Downwinders in Utah were the primary proponents of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act of 1990. And that time, the lawyers had already been working for 10 years and hadn't been paid. There were only 15 primary cancers, and downwinders got 50,000, and uranium miners got 100,000. Navajo were very good at pushing their perspective as well. What we found later was there still wasn't enough money. And downwinders, for example, in the Trinity area of New Mexico, where the currently Telerosa downwinders are also pushing for additional funding for the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act of 2020. There wasn't enough money then. We didn't have a good understanding of what happened to us. That's why we did began doing our own investigations in the 1990s. And we are still lacking. We can do things like DNA testing. The government doesn't want it. We've been fighting to stay on our land as well. We had horses everywhere. Growing up, we had horses everywhere. I was a rancher. 
I'd be on a horse and, and pushing cows right now if we hadn't had our horses taken away from us. In 1971, the United States Congress defined our Indian horses. These are our livestock. Defined our horses and Indian ponies as wild horses. There's no such thing as a wild horse. They're feral horses, but they defined our horses as wild horses, and they began attacking us through the Wild Horse and Burrow Act. They took away our, our livelihood. They took away our horses because they blamed us for destruction of the land. And we didn't know at that time that it was a fallout from U.S. weapons testing. My aunts and uncles were playing in the fallout. They didn't know. Nobody told us. There's things we can do about it today to do some research because the radiation went everywhere. It's in all of our bodies if we're alive and old enough when those particular tests took place. So we're, we have options for future research. We can look at the land. We can look at trees. We can look at human beings. They're getting radiation out of the eyes, the cornea of sharks of different snappers, of different types of animals and trees. We can do these things and we ought to do these things. We just need the funding to do that. But this is how we were treated. This is how our lives were changed by no fault of our own. But the government took our livelihood and blamed us for destroying the land when it was the weapons fallout that was doing that. So we're here, we're still trying to, to move forward. We're still trying to continue to get compensation and we need the DNA testing. We really need that. I've had a medical issue recently in my throat and I need to know right away if I have risk factors and get down and get tested. My people need to know those things. We need additional funding for that. We can get it through the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, but I have to get legislators on board to say, yeah, we care about Indians. That's how important it is. I care about my family. I care about my tribe. And just because we don't want America's nuclear waste does not mean that we should be neglected and treated like second-class Americans. We are Americans, so we need funding for the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. That's what I'm working on now. That's what I need to get going. That's what I need your help for. And if you look at the fallout maps, if you go to my website, nativecommunityactioncouncil.org, one word, you will see the fallout maps. All Americans need universal health care because the damage is done. The fallout has been spread across the continent. It doesn't just end at the Canadian border like our maps show. It goes right on into Ontario and Ottawa and all across the uh, Northeast. Let me give you an example of how this culture of secrecy works, how we've been exposed. In 1986, April, some weeks before the Chernobyl accident happened, we had researchers waiting for that fallout from the Chernobyl event flying off the coast of Washington calibrating instruments, and then they started picking up radiation three days before the Chernobyl radiation was to be here. It turns out, three weeks before Chernobyl, there was an event at the Nevada test site. They didn't tell anybody. They vented a cloud of radiation. Several people were killed. Millions of dollars in damages to the underground facilities. They got caught because of Chernobyl, but they didn't tell anybody. We don't know how many times that happened. They polluted the continent. They polluted the world. This culture of secrecy is killing Americans. That's why we need Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. That's why we need universal health care. And just as a side note, I am personally covered by the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act because of the number of hours I spent underground at Yucca Mountain. I'm covered under a category of employees or workers because when the Department of Energy was drilling a tunnel boring machine going on, the Yucca Mucker, going on 24 hours a day, for three or four years, 
to drill the original ramp and tunnel system for site investigation. It's a 4.5 uh, mile tunnel under Yucca Mountain. And as that tunnel boring machine was going around, the silica dust was flying all over the place. And I'm, under, I'm down underneath the mountain. You know, I have over 30 hours under the mountain, less than 100 over 30. But the workers who were down there, 16 of them filed suit against the Department of Energy because they were not provided respirators. They were at risk of developing black lung, which is what I'm at risk of developing and why I'm covered under the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. But these employees sued the Department of Energy and found that the Department of Energy deliberately exposed them to this known black lung risk and didn't give them respirators, didn't give them training. And that's how I'm now covered under that same thing. I was deliberately exposed by the Department of Energy. I don't like that. That's wrong for me. It's wrong for all those workers. We need additional funding because I don't know when I'm going to get sick, but I'm going to stick around for another 30 years working on these issues, and they're not going to get away with it. Yeah, and silica dust is a known carcinogen too, and that kind of goes into my next point of what can people do listening to help or support in the Yucca Mountain fight in this Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, if anything? Well, what they can do is first understand that Yucca Mountain is not a solution. It would be an ongoing research and development project for a quarter million years to actually get to an understanding of whether it works or not. It's above and in the biosphere. People need to understand that Yucca Mountain is not owned by the United States. There's supreme law of the land, which is the treaty, which is on par of the United States Constitution. It is the supreme law of the land, not the Yucca Mountain 1987 Yucca Mountain Amendments Act that designated Yucca Mountain. You hear members of Congress that are so ignorant about the law. Well, I'm talking about the supreme law of the land, which is inviolable because it is on par with the United States Constitution. Yucca Mountain will not happen. It's not going to be a waste repository. So anywhere where the waste is, where they're promising it's going to go to Yucca Mountain, such as the Holtex Consolidated Interim Storage Facility uh, proposals in New Mexico and Texas, they are trying to convince the public in Texas and New Mexico that nuclear waste will be going to Yucca Mountain. Never going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. There's got to be another way to deal with that. So what people can do is, one, be aware, understanding Yucca Mountain's no solution. It's not going to happen because the law won't let it happen. And three, anybody who's lying about it, like Holtec, and saying it's going to Yucca Mountain, and telling the NRC it's going to Yucca Mountain, or the NRC themselves, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So people need to be aware. They need to call for transportation meetings. They need to be aware of what the transportation issues are and the lies being told by these companies that just want to make money. They need to be engaged and ask the NRC to have hearings in their community along transportation routes because we shouldn't be handling this stuff. We need to find other ways to make it safe on site, move it as little as possible because these companies that want to make money, they're not going to handle the hazardous stuff. They're not going to handle the hot stuff. They're not going to handle the stuff which is getting tricky to move because the heat and the radiation are causing brittle conditions inside these casts. And like I said, deep geologic disposal is not a solution. So we can't even say that that's the right thing to do. We need to get back to the drawing board and really have a sobering look at this. 
first thing we need to do is shut off the nuclear power, shut off the reactors, recognize that all of our energy releases radiation. Fracking releases radiation. Coal, all coal contains uranium. Western coal has the highest uh, content of uranium. Eastern gas, whether that's fracking, anything under the Canadian shield, all that granite releases radon. It goes into the products that we're trying to retrieve. Fracking, coal, oil, these are not good for us. We're releasing that into our environment and it's been down there in a pool of uranium, it's in water, it's done all these things. We need to understand what our exposure risks are and then we can take protective behavior. So that's the main thing. Our protective behavior now is calling for those hearings in our state along our transportation route so that we can stop these companies from putting us at risk. They're just gonna make money, they're gonna get their fingers into the nuclear waste fund fee, they're trying to get their fingers into these decommissioning fees, they're gonna take what they can, make money from it, and the rest is still gonna be there. And if it moves to Texas or New Mexico, it's not coming to Yucca Mountain. That will be a de facto nuclear waste repository. The companies will be taking title to this waste on site, wherever that site is, that's gonna be a nuclear waste dump, unless we find a better way to deal with this problem. And that's what I'm committed to doing. I'm involved in this, I'm going out to the uh, reactor communities, trying to understand what their hazards, risks, and concerns are. There's a lot we have to do. There's some things we have to figure out how to do and stop making bad decisions because these companies have products that they want to sell and their casks are inferior. Their technology is not appropriate. We can't always rely on the technology. We have to shut the flow off of this nuclear waste first. Stop running these reactors. They're just viewed as money machines. They're, they're spinning the wheels off of these reactors to make more money for a longer period of time. They already paid all the overhead. They haven't paid the cost for the waste. And that's where the money needs to go. And until they can do that, which they're not able to, we need to stop generating nuclear waste. Shut these reactors down. We don't need them. California doesn't even need these reactors. It can run without nuclear power. They already know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a huge issue on so many levels with the environment, public health, humans, rights. Yeah. Just to finish out, do you want to talk about your upcoming event, the 2020 Native American Forum on Nuclear Issues? Yes. At this time, we haven't canceled because it's on May 4th. May 3rd is a Yucca Mountain hike. We may just as well go on with the hike because a lot of people want to get outdoors. The weather will be nice. It will be outdoors and nice, clean air. Uh, that would be a good thing, I think, for people that would be here. We haven't canceled only because it's a little too far off and we may get a handle on some of this by then. And likely we'll, we'll broadcast, if nothing else. I think we, this is, again, going to, do we all need to come here? Do we all need to be in one place? I think what we need to do is embrace the technology as we are in a way that's never happened and prepare for doing things differently. But it's here, this is where we're at, and we need to use the efficiencies to protect our environment, to protect people, and to communicate more broadly. Thank you so much to Ian for sharing your experience and expertise on Yucca Mountain and other nuclear issues. I'm going to link everything we talked about, including more information on the Treaty of Ruby Valley, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, Holtec, Social Amplification of Risk, and Fallout Maps from Ian's organization, Native Community Action Council. 
Tune in next Friday for a new episode and have a good week, everyone.